welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter. They not only shape markets, they can change the world. And with us today are uh, two individuals who I have known from past physical great conversations who have made a huge impact already on our community. You'll recognize Dr. Gene Dysinger, who's president of Dysinger Consulting. And, and if you ha have met him in the past and listened to him at the great conversation, you know he's one of the premier threat management consultants. Gene, great to have you. Ron, as always, it's a pleasure. And of course, Christina Anderson, um, a pivotal moment in great conversation history, the first standing ovation ever at a great conversation. Uh, uh, Christina uniquely has a business mind. Uh, she is uh, steeped in um, lessons learned in moving the threat management paradigm for schools forward. She's head of Koshka, which is a nonprofit, um, a nonprofit uh, a company that's been dedicated for 13 years, I think. Is it 10 or 13 years, Christina? Uh, 13 years was when we started the foundation after the Virginia Tech shooting. Yep. 13 years training in the prevention of school and workplace violence, education, active shooter preparedness, so on and so forth. And where these two individuals intersect is around Virginia Tech. In uh, April 16th, 2007, there was an active shooter. And it was a seminal event for this country uh, because we all woke up to this threat that was uh, a near and present danger to all of our schools. And so what I'd like to do in this short conversation we have today is really take that date, April 16th, 2007, and ask these two people, have we progressed? Have we moved the needle? Have we made schools safer and more secure? So let me open up with uh, Christina, because you had that seminal moment when you said, I'm, this has changed my life. I'm going to start the foundation. And uh, tell me what you think about that, Christina. It could be in the people area, the process area, the tools area, any area you'd like to choose, but have we moved the needle? Well, first of all, Ron, thank you again for, for having both of us. It's an honor to be here with, with Jean. Um, I think, I mean, a lot has changed since 2007, of course. And I think in short, yes, we have moved the needle. As you said, Virginia Tech was a seminal event in that, you know, violence had occurred in schools, uh, active shooters had occurred in schools prior to Virginia Tech. Uh, but that event on April 16th was of such a intensity that I think a lot of people across the country were first shocked and afraid and then committed themselves to never um, having it occur again. Um, as I know Jean you know, will attest to, can speak to the uh, framework of behavioral threat management in schools, K-12 and higher education, which was around prior to Virginia Tech has really, really evolved and had really kind of sparked and, and grown you know, forward. Um, and I think we've had more of a cultural change, but I think also that's where we have to continue it and to keep having these conversations between students and parents and educators um, to make sure that we don't fall back to a sense of kind of complacency and remembering that, you know, yes, schools are safe, but it's each of our own, you know, individual responsibility to, uh, to move that forward. I think a space that has evolved in 2007 is 
the um, kind of community information sharing, people speaking up and being more aware of their surroundings. I think a lot of folks have probably reported things to their campus law enforcement or student affairs that they may not have uh, thought about in, in 2007. But I, I think there really is a rallying cry on all of us to, to keep that momentum pushing forward without having to have a, a Virginia Tech, you know, occur to, uh, to, to spark that. So, um, you know, for me looking back, it's definitely, it, it both, it feels both very short and, and very uh, long since, since it's, it's happened, but it's certainly an event that, you know, I still think about, you know, very, very often. And um, I think one of the best things we can do for the memory of all those that responded, um, the educators, the first responders, the, the students that were there in 2007, is to keep this priority first, always on prevention, um, and then things like active shooter response second, um, to really make sure that we can honor Virginia Tech, and like I said, make sure it doesn't, doesn't happen again. Um, sorry, that was kind of a long answer, Ron. <laughs> Let me know if you... So, well, I mean, so, touch on that. No, no problem. Um, I want to make sure I, I heard you. I think what you said is the biggest impact over the 13 years was the community waking up, essentially, mm -hmm. after the shock was over, waking up and saying, we've got to pull together here, students, parents, educators, we've got to be more aware, we've got to put some new systems in place, We've got to be conscious enough to report what we see. Uh, you've seen mostly that culture be the, the major uh, thing we've been able to do in moving the needle. Is that correct? That, that's correct. Yeah, that was, that was a great summary. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I mean, physical security definitely plays into that as well with, you know, locks and cameras and things like that. But I think we've all realized this, you know, in our case and in many other, you know, incidents of school shootings, the individual has a connection to the space. So they'll be likely to, you know, infiltrate that. Um, we have to focus on our people and making sure that everyone feels accountable um, and also feels connected to their environment that they feel safe enough to report in, in the first place. Um, and those are things that I certainly wasn't, you know, thinking about prior to the shooting, but now have, have, have woken up to. And, and I meet a lot of great principals and SROs and other folks that are deeply committed to that, to that mission. So, um, yeah. Uh, and, and Jean, I'm going to get to you, but one more question for Christina. Uh, for those of you, we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. I urge you to uh, contact Koshka, uh, get a hold of Christina. She speaks at many different forums. Uh, she has an amazing story, but bottom line is she was a student. And so I'm going to ask you a question. A student at a school that had an active shooting, she was also a victim. But, but, but as a student, uh, I'm going to go back to community culture do you see students now being receptive to the advances of the stakeholders? So the, the, the professors, the admins, the uh, security personnel receptive that they're part of the solution, that, that they are aware of the campus condition. Are you seeing that now, Christina? I'm seeing it definitely more since 2007, but I think overall we still have, I think students, you know, we can be, or they can be, I haven't been a student for a while uh, in the traditional sense, um, they can kind of read through, uh, 
you know, marketing sometimes and, and our attempts to, to reach them. Um, so I think when we communicate to them, just like adults, openly and tran in a transparent way, and we are very clear with, you know, what they can report, for instance, you know, what happens with that, um, then I think they feel empowered and that people care. Um, I think students are very good. You know, we can all tell when someone is trying to keep information from us or when someone is afraid of something. And so the earlier that we can involve them and, and really be open, I think sometimes we become really afraid of, you know, there might be a lockdown in a school or something, and we don't really want to give them information about what happened. We think we're protecting them, but we're actually just, you know, possibly creating more fear or uncertainty or mistrust in their, in their views. Um, so I think we have to continue, you know, sharing with them candidly, what's actually happening, what are the threats and the security issues in our schools, and, and saying that that's okay, that really, I think, in security, we have the sense that everything must always be 100%, you know, tip-top and secure, and that's just not the world that we live in, um, so making them feel comfortable with a little bit of, of uncertainty, but that's when they can really own um, the tools, the training to, to create a safer space for, for themselves, so um, so yes, I, I, I do, uh, but I think we can definitely speak with them a lot more through different platforms than, than we currently do. Thank you very much, Jean. Again, people, process, tools, have we moved the needle? If so, how? We absolutely have moved the needle um, in a lot of different ways, and not only in schools, uh, K through 12 schools and campuses, but after Virginia Tech, after Sandy Hook, uh, as two of the more seminal events that precipitated change around these issues, not only in academia, but across sectors. Um, I don't think I've ever seen as much sustained change around orientation to uh, prevention, response, and recovery as what I've seen since those two incidents at, you know, a few years apart. And it's not just been within the academia. Um, you know, I started the threat management process uh, at a prior institution in, in Iowa in 1993, and our, our battle cry, if you will, was around developing processes that would help us better communicate, collaborate, coordinate, and because back then in the, in the early 90s, nobody was getting more resources, we had to capitalize on what we already had and make it work better. And I'm seeing a lot of organizations across a lot of sectors and verticals that are doing much better at that. Now, I'm going to put some caveats on that because I think there's some ways we haven't grown as well. I still encounter a lot of organizations that are, uh, have developed good crisis response capabilities. Uh, this is to Christina's point earlier. And, and by the way, any opportunity to collaborate with someone of uh, her genuineness and insight um, and collegial spirit it is just a treat. It's been a blessing in my life that such a crisis brought the two of us uh, into the opportunity to collaborate together. But the, uh, that crisis orientation rather than a proactive yeah. and preventative one is still a challenge for many organizations. Um, I think we still see we're, we're, we've now learned to develop from the last threat and it becomes very context specific. Oh, so you look at Virginia Tech. Oh, a student could do this. And then you look at Sandy Hook. Well, a former student can do this. And then you look at another industry and it's like, well, uh, a CEO can do this. And we respond to each one of those as if they're different in some fundamental way when 
still the early markers of behavior, the, the systems and processes that were being impacted are more similar than they are different. I think we've gotten better. I think we've got a, a ways to go. Um, I've been very excited to see that the other weakness uh, that I've observed is getting lessened a bit, that rather than having um, organization-specific approaches, there's an understanding that I'm unlikely to know all the threats posed to my organization based solely on what I know. And so I need collaborations with my community, broadly defined, to have a better sense of the threats about which otherwise I won't know about until it's too late. And so we've seen much more community-based collaboration, including between vendors um, and markets that otherwise would be in competition. And clearly that has to be done in a, in a mindful way, um, but it is being done and it's being done more. Wow, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing that you even went to the extent of seeing the collaboration happening in the vendor community too. Be, when I first entered the industry in 2002, six months after 9-11 and that report came out, it was obvious there were silos of excellence that, and lack of communication uh, and collaboration that was occurring that made that happen. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so if you are seeing progress in that area, that, that's, that's, that's good news, Gene. It is. I would say uh, we have a, a long ways to go, and there are some very practical hurdles in this. You know, and the metaphor that I've used for the past is, is if I'm at the great conversation down in Palm Beach and I'm heading back home to Richmond, I'm going to get in an aircraft, and air traffic control has me when I take off out of Palm Beach and transfers me. And so I, I'm in an overwatched hands the whole way. If Ron poses a threat, in this community and this organization and travels to another, we don't treat that the same way. And yes, we need to be mindful about reasonable limits to, to privacy, um, how government tracks information. Th those are some difficult issues. Uh, I think the incident at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas highlighted a lot of gaps. We're in well-developed processes, but weren't adequately interconnected. Um, and they could have been, they were designed to be, but they weren't in practice. Well, we're also seeing that in the technology space, too. It's one thing to have an interconnected, um, interrelated processes. It's another thing to have the technology that supports that as well. Yeah. And so I'm seeing a, re a renewed, there, there, people used to shy away from the complexity of integration of these technologies. Mm -hmm. And I see a renewed interest in making that happen. And it might be due to you know, the fact that data aggregation is becoming so key into predictive intel. And uh, are, are you seeing anything like that, Jing? I'm seeing in the, uh, the threat management area a lot of efforts uh, to use machine learning and predictive capabilities. Um, I have yet to see any that I have a lot of confidence in when we're talking about identifying individuals versus subsets or subgroups uh, that may be at risk. Uh, there's you know, some exceptions to that, um, uh, I guess. Um, I'm always a little leery about it because so often, particularly in vendor-driven algorithms, they are protected and you don't quite know the formula that's being used. Mm -hmm. And how is it that Ron was identified as a threat and is there bias? in that process. 
And because human beings were involved in its development and the writing of that code, there probably is. Mm -hmm. And the question is, are we monitoring for that bias and correcting it in a timely and a real-time capability? And I'm not seeing a lot of good movement in that yet. What do you both see? Let's, let's spend a few minutes here on the future. Um, a lot of things are happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, we have technology moving more rapidly than we ever imagined. I, I talked to an Amazon guy who was uh, head of the Alexa team and he goes, it took us by, by surprise how quickly people adapted to voice in their homes. And of course we're seeing voice uh, on the mobile handsets where we're seeing voice controlling our cars, where we're, we're seeing this whole idea of voice as kind of the new hub almost. Uh, we're, and of course that's uniquely tied to artificial intelligence as well. Uh, so, so what I'm kind of interested in, all these inflection points, the pandemic, the whole idea of the, 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 the new perimeter, if you will, the whole idea culturally that we're waking up and realizing the sickness is a threat. <laughs> we never saw sickness as a threat before, uh, right? As, as part of the security province. So with all these inflection points going on, if we come back in 13 years, I'd be glad to know you folks in 13 years, by the way. If we come back in five, 10 years, what are we gonna be talking about? What's happened that you think is possible uh, in, in both of your areas of expertise? What, what can we anticipate? In fact, what are you coaching your clients to anticipate? That's a big question. Uh, sure, I'll take I'll take a, a stab. I, I I have two kind of parts that answer. I think one I hope in five ten years that we're much better at tracking the data of you know who we're training, uh, how we're training them, how much information we're receiving, um, how many threats we're receiving from our community, um, and and what we're doing with that. I hope that we're communicating that back out to our stakeholders um, in a more active way. Um, so that everyone has a view um, of, from the ecosystem of what's been prevented, what has been averted, what has not maybe been um, been prevented as well. Um, and secondly, I think we're going to see a lot more in resilience and mental health. I think that's one of the things that is really impacting a lot of folks right now, being you know stuck indoors or not being able to see uh, their same students or, or colleagues in the same way. I hope we see a much greater focus on, you know, trauma-informed training and just making those conversations uh, much more integrated with our security conversations that they go hand in hand um, with with establishing secure spaces. So, um, it's yeah. A, it's so interesting, Christina, just so you know, all, in all the interviews, the idea of mindset keeps coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, mindset. How, how do I, not only as a leader, have the right mindset to approach these things clear, composed, effective, but also how do I teach my culture the same way? So I love how you're saying mental health is closely tied to teaching people about approaching risk, if you will, and resilience uh, at at a mental health level too. So I love that. Gene, what do you think five years from now? So I think there's a few things. I, I think that um, the pandemic is one example of how incredibly interconnected we've become and how close we become to each other in that way, in that sense. 
and therefore how rapidly a threat can spread. Yeah. And we, you know, we've seen it in the, in the health arena now, but uh, as interconnected, and we've seen this in the supply chain as well, that, you know, kind of, in my mind, short-minded perspectives on that supply chain and, and externalizing it and simplifying it and narrowing it. Well, what happens when that area is compromised by a pandemic or an economic collapse? And how quickly that does that affect me and my industry and et cetera? So I, I think we're learning to take a more global perspective on understanding the threats posed and how rapidly you can't just look at it and say, well, that's over there um, uh, now. I think that uh, we're making tremendous advances in our collection, our analysis, our, uh, our use of algorithms and trying to understand data. I hope that we don't lose perspective on the fact that data represents people and that ultimately the human factors are a significant component of this and may not ever be fully distilled uh, through machine learning capabilities. There's always this nuance. The uh, uh, behavior and personality are in a spectrum and an algorithm that detects 90% of it accurately is still missing 10% of it. And that would be a pretty accurate algorithm, by the way. <laughs> and so we've always got to be prepared for that, that N of one. Um, and uh, and we're, we're getting better, we have a way to go. I, I think the five years from now and ongoing, the largest issue that's going to be hitting us is misinformation and disinformation. It's hard enough to manage a threat when you have high confidence in the credibility and validity of the source. And now you can look at that video of Ron making extraordinary comments, uh, expressions of grievance and directed intent that he never did. And how do you prove you didn't do something? And as you know, it, it can take pretty sophisticated analysis to discern whether what's real and what's not. And the typical organization doesn't have that capability. And so the, the opportunity to weaponize uh, misinformation and disinformation, I think is going to be a huge challenge moving forward. And then we know, and, and the pandemic has exemplified people that will use the dissension and use the fear and use the discord to further harm. And I think it's highlighted our vulnerabilities and our weaknesses and there are extremists just waiting to pounce on those capabilities. Excellent, we've got a few minutes left. A quick question, I ask this of all uh, my people who uh, participate in these interviews, uh, any readings uh, any resources you would say to the community, turn them on to uh, that you think would be relevant to this conversation or any other conversations you're having? Well, I don't have a specific response to that. Uh, I'll go back to some of your earlier comments, Ron. I think before we started the recording is, uh, are you a student of your field, not just of your clients, but of your client's experience? Because yeah. we're, we're not in a vacuum. Um, I learned long ago that much of what I needed to learn as a threat manager didn't come from within psychology. 
It came from within, from uh, other fields as, as closely aligned as sociology and criminology to chaos theory and quantum mechanics in terms of um, how behavior may flow and adapt and change. And so I think it's incumbent upon us to have a broader view of from whom and from where can we learn become better and more adept? Yeah, step out of your outside your box. All right. And I've seen that a lot more, and you'll see that on our resource page too. Christina? Um, same. I, you know, just having recently had a, a child, I haven't been doing too much, too much reading, Ron, uh, except for the occasional doom scrolling on Twitter. But um, I would say, I mean, to, to plug in a, an organization that Gene and I are both part of, um, the Association of Threat Assessment Professionals is a great um, membership, you know, organization to be a part of. And just by meeting more, you know, there's a, they, they do have a message board and ways to communicate, you know, just again, kind of reiterating the point of more ways that you can find people with like-minded interests, I think, um, just as you're fostering here with the great conversation, um, I, I, would, yeah, I would, I guess, throw out ATAP as, as one source, but um, exactly. yeah. Well, this has been a great conversation with two people that I not only respect and admire, but enjoy too. Both of you are uh, not only students of your industry and your disciplines, but you also have hearts of gold. And I really appreciate you spending time to help our membership community be, be better in this, uh, in this time to come. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Ron.